On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Thomas Weddle. He's the author of Innovation as Usual and his new book, What's Your Problem? Thomas and I talk about why starting with a problem is so important in innovation, what it means to solve the right problem, and the framework teams can use to make better decisions in the process. Let's get started. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest, Today, we have Thomas Weddell. He's the author of a couple of different books, Innovation as Usual, and a new book coming out called What's Your Problem? To Solve Your Toughest Problems, Change the Problems You Solve. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm excited to have you on the show because you've been in this innovation space for uh, quite some time, working all around the world with major companies. And you've got a framework that you've outlined in this new book that I think is interesting and can give some insight to our audience for how to tackle this problem of innovation. So my first question is, let's start by telling the audience about your background, and then we can delve into the book a little bit more. Background-wise, I'm originally from Denmark. I've been abroad for maybe 14 years, tried to launch a couple of startups that failed gloriously. And then I somehow got sidelined into this whole academic space that I'm in now. And my innovation work really started 10 years ago when I started working with an old professor of mine, and we started going into companies and looking at what actually worked when it came to making innovation happen in practice. And that led to my first book called Innovation as Usual, which came out, I think it's like seven years ago now with Harvard Business Press. And that was also what led to my current work on the book now. So it was all quite accidental and getting sidelined into things and suddenly discovering, wait, there's something wrong about the way we do innovation or there's something wrong about the way we do problem solving. I can't really claim to have a red thread of any kind in my career. <laughs> well, I like the book and your framework around focusing on the problem because as I've worked a lot with startups and early stage ideas within corporations and that, a lot of people start with the solution. They have an idea, they jump immediately to that solution side and you're taking a different framework and say, okay, that's fine, <laughs> but what you're doing is probably the wrong way to approach it. So let's talk about the book and talk about the focus on the problem and, and why that's so important. It came out of the realization that we are missing a tool in the area of problem framing. As many of your listeners, I'm sure you're familiar with, there's very often a need to go in, for instance, if a client approaches you, to go in and say, wait, does the client actually understand the problem they're trying to solve? before we go in and just build the solution we have in mind for them. That goes for startups as well, of, of course, understanding their customer's problem. And I realized that while this is like a thing that a lot of people, they have a feel for. And if you go to some design agencies or whatever, I mean, they have some remnants of a process. But I was kind of interested in seeing that there's just this, we lacked a general tool and a general framework for understanding and reframing problems. There wasn't really anything out there that I felt was both did a good job and mm -hmm. also crucially 
was capable of being widespread. Because I think some of the methods we have already around this, they're very complicated and they kind of require you to be an expert in the topic and you have to host a week-long workshop to do it and so on. I wanted to fill the gap of creating a tool around this that could really be used by everybody. That's really what led me to write the new book, which is now called What's Your Problem? We focused, of course, on the art of solving the right problems. So let's give an example. I've seen some of your speeches and read some of your work. And one of the examples that you talk about to give the audience an understanding of what you mean by reframing the problem, you talk about the slow elevator problems. Walk us through that particular example. Imagine you are the owner of an office building that people are complaining about the speed of the elevator. Now you have a framed problem in front of you there that the elevator is too slow. And what most people do there is jump straight ahead and say, how do we make it faster? What people at reframing are good at is to go in and say, wait, is there a different way of looking at the problem? Is there another problem to solve, which might be better for us rather than going out and buying a new elevator? And the classic example here, of course, is that building managers, what do they do when they hear of elevator complaints? They tend to try something else, namely to put up a mirror in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And just a beautiful and, and quite memorable example of what reframing is and why it's sometimes important to go in and say, is there a different problem to solve for here than the one that's necessarily you know, put in front of us uh, to stop? Yeah, I've heard a similar example in the airline industry where people were complaining about baggage claim and how long it took for the, the baggage to get there. And the airline changed it in such a way to reframe the problem of how you got the bags and when you got them, the amount of time it took you to walk to get to the bag so that you weren't standing there waiting as long. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. I, one of my colleagues in this space, uh, Stephen Shapiro, he has spoken a good deal about that example. That's a beautiful instance of it. He's, uh, by the way, he's out with a new book as well called Invisible Solutions, which also looks at reframing, which I can strongly recommend too. It's such a big issue. And I'm curious to hear, I mean, you have a ton of experience both with your own work with innovation and with, with your client work and so on. What's your observation in this? Am I right? Is there a missing tool around this or what's your experience through your work? I think we see the same things. A lot of times, the first thing I do when I start talking to clients or startups is around that idea of what are we really trying to solve for here? And are there different ways to look at the, the framework, the mindset almost? And it's almost around trying to figure out, is there something more there than what meets the eye? And I find that the ones, the entrepreneurs or the inside innovators that seem to get it are more open to scanning the problem set in a different way versus this is the idea I have, and I want to fight for this idea because I believe this is you know, the way to do it. Yeah. When people fall in love with their solution, that's always mm -hmm. a problem. There's a good deal of research, by the way, backing up this up. Uh, one recent example, Case Dorst, who does design research, he consistently found that expert designers, for instance, they tend not to take the problem for granted. They take, instead of delving into the details, they take a step back and try to understand the context and try to look for stuff that's not there. and that he found was at least predictive of whether people did a good job in the end. Some of the other f types of frameworks you've heard out there, like customer discovery, and that open up those conversations around the problem too, because you're trying to identify what are the core problems and the pain points that your customers have and use that as more of a guide and then back into the solution based on, on that pain point that you've identified or looking I, for. When you look at reframing in my work in the context of the broader portfolio of things that are available to, for the industry to work with us. I'd say that the lean startup methodology and the 
customer experience approach mm-hmm. and so on. I think that's very powerful. And that's one way of discovering new perspectives on your problem. You go out into the real world and you either prototype or you embed yourself with customers and then you learn. I think reframing is almost a thinking counterpoint to that. So reframing doesn't necessarily happen when you go out into the world. Reframing might actually happen before you do that. When you ask questions like, before we get out of the building, in Steve Blank's immortal words, what are we going to look for? Who are we going to study? What problem area are we interested in learning more about? All of those ideas that are really on the thinking side instead of just the prototyping, let's take action side. That's Mm -hmm. where I feel we can upgrade people's ability to do. I've seen another example you've talked about in the past. I think Nickelodeon was really focused on this usability experience for their new mobile app. And they were trying to get kids to log on and they had to find their cable subscriber and get their parents to give them the password and all this kind of stuff. And so they were working a lot around user experience and trying to change that. What they found out was if they reframed the problem and said, you know, what's the real problem here? And it turns out the kids were more scared about asking their parents for access to that password because passwords are in fact scary to kids and things along those lines and change that dynamic. So you're not really just solving the user experience perspective, but you're really delving into what's the core challenge or obstacle. Yeah, I love that example because Maya Sin, who led the team, he was actually very partial to testing. He was constantly focused on doing things, but he realized that his team had gotten stuck in a specific form of testing, namely A-B testing. And they kept doing what they were good at. And they thought, hey, we are experimenting with doing what we're supposed to do. But they are kind of testing on the wrong problem. I think that's where it becomes really important. There's somebody in the room who's capable of saying, wait, I know we're in love with this tool. We have a hammer. We're really good at wielding. And we're (laughs) using it on everything. (laughs) But is that necessarily the type of problem we're facing? Or is there something else we can do? Another way of thinking about what we're looking at. And this is very real. I mean, this is, there's a lot of research on this topic, but what I found most convincing when I decided to look into it was actually that in almost all areas of practice, people are somehow trying to use this. Like you can delve into any field that has to do with consulting or whatever. The good people, the good practitioners, they have some kind of philosophy around discovering the problem instead of going in and just doing user testing. Steve Blank is a good example. He originally, of course, came out with the whole work around build, measure, learn, and that cycle. And then at some point, he actually put out an update on that and said, folks, build, measure, learn, and lean startup is not about prototyping first and foremost. It actually starts with a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. You have to start with sitting down before you leave the building and figuring out like, what is the thing? What's the assumption about the problem we're going to test for? How are we going to use our ability to do rapid prototyping and so on. So we actually learn and discover something new. So can you talk a little bit about the methodology itself? I know in the book you outline it as a frame, reframe, and move forward approach. Can you talk more about the, the specifics of that? There are really two components to it. One is the habit. And that is the ability you have with a team whenever you face a problem to delve into this very rapid round of interaction where you try to brainstorm on new angles on the problem. So the habit at its core is literally just to create a problem statement. What's the problem we're trying to solve for? Get a couple of people and have even a five to 10 minute conversation about that problem statement where you try to pummel it from lots of different angles. And then at the end of that, you decide, okay, what's our next step? How do we move forward? So you don't get stuck in analysis. And I think the core thing with that 
method, which I'd highlight is the speed. Because in some contexts, well, if you're running a design hackathon, then you have time. Then you can set aside half a day to do a deep dive on something. The problem I want to solve for is reframing in the context of a normal business when we mm -hmm. don't have the luxury of going to a mountaintop and thinking for a bit around the problem. And the central constraint there is that people don't have a lot of time. The work I've developed here and with my clients is literally a way to get good at doing this, albeit somewhat imperfectly, but you get better at doing it in a 10 to 15 minute discussion. So it's something you can potentially actually do as part of a day-to-day session. I'll delve into the, the, like the second part in, in a bit, but I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, you have the interesting context of working both in your job as head of innovation and you work with clients as well. So I guess you see both the design workshop context, but also the regular everyday problem-solving context. What have you seen there? I agree with the fact that it's very, from a theoretical perspective, to you do a workshop or to get the people to work through that cycle, so to speak, and have them think broader about what is the core problem and maybe brainstorm around that. From the day-to-day -day activities, it is startling because everybody wants to get to that next thing. They need to show momentum. They need to show movement. And so we automatically jump to that solution, to that prototyping, to, to building out something. And that's not always necessarily the wrong way to approach it because quite frankly, in corporations, a lot of times they move too slow in general. So getting them to move at all is a step in the right direction. What I like about the framework is that it if nothing else, it'll open up the discussion around, okay, are we solving the right problem? Yeah. Here's a couple of different things we can look at. Let's start with this thing and see if our hypothesis are right. And if it's not, we have at least a couple more on the board that we can go back and say, maybe it isn't the fact that the elevator's too slow, but it's the fact that mm -hmm. people don't enjoy waiting. If you've identified a couple of different paths to go on, it allows you to then, when you're doing that initial experiments, to then go back and say, are we on the right track? Uh, and, and it gives you a different place to go. Exactly. And, and I think it's so interesting you say opening up the discussion because I see one of the core purposes of me writing this book was actually it's not just to teach people who are kind of already practicing it. It is to create legitimacy around it. Because right now, many people in our line of work, if you work with innovation or something similar, you kind of know this. You, you may be relatively okay at it. The problem is often you go to a client and the client says, what are you talking about? Like, no, get moving. There's not a recognition that this is necessary. And so, and so one of the core purposes of coming out of this is actually to give people who know what this is something they can take. Like, here's a book. It was published by Harvard Business Press. It says that problem <laughs> framing is really, really important. Take a look at this client. So you will allow us to do this really crucial work. I think it's more important sometimes in existing bigger organizations that have a known pattern, a known business model, a known operations that they're trying to execute on. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients, they think they know the problems because, hey, I, I deal with these customers every day, which sometimes differs in the startup realm when I'm talking to startups. They don't necessarily have that close proximity. They have not figured out a business model that works 100%. So they're more open to moving and looking at problems in different ways versus an existing organization that literally has been doing and solving similar problems for a long time. Exactly. So I'd say the second part of the framework that I offer, it's really some rules or guidelines for how to reframe. Because one thing is to tell people, okay, take a minute to think differently about the problem. The next thing is to tell them or give them some ideas about how to do it. And mm. what I've outlined is basically five strategies for reframing and they are built on my client work so i basically went out and tested a lot of different approaches 
working with clients as they solve real world problems. And these are the ones that were both broad enough to apply to a lot of problems and that generally proved most helpful for people in, in finding new perspectives. So very high level summary, we can delve into some of them. It's basically look outside the frame. So, so instead of delving into the details, step back and ask what's missing. Rethinking the goals, number two. So what are we trying to achieve? And is there a better goal to look mm. for? Examining bright spots, the idea of asking whether there are positive exceptions, like has somebody solved it? Have we solved the problem before? Looking in the mirror, a little bit a painful one, but asking what is my role in creating this problem, not just assuming that it's caused by some other idiot. <laughs> and finally, the, the art of perspective taking, which is really about, that's in the vein of early startup movement as well, getting a nuanced, detailed understanding of what other people are trying to do versus going with your assumptions about what they might prefer or why they act as they act. So the essence here is really just, it's five different lenses that can help in identifying new angles on a problem that you can get better at applying. The more you work with reframing, the more you get better at doing it on the fly. And these things are a little bit training wheels for that process. When you're going through this particular process and maybe you, you, you pick a particular path and you start going down that path and you, you identify that, hey, we're not working on the right problem. How do you go back? Is that part of the process? Is this an iterative circular process or how does this work? Very much. It's, again, a specific quote I warn against is this like thing. You, you always see it being attributed to Albert Einstein. And he, he never said it, this thing about if you have an hour, spend 55 minutes studying the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really bad idea. That's a dangerous idea because that really means paralysis by analysis. What you want to do is to do this very quickly up front. Then you may work for, you do it on Monday, you work for a week, and then on Friday, you get back together and you say, folks, are we still solving the right problem? Is there anything here we need to rethink given the steps we took this week? And I think it's a big mistake if people think, oh, problem definition, that's just step one, and then everything follows from there. No, it's iterative. Well, or that it's a one and done type of process. Mm. You know, it's, it's like the whole customer discovery process, same thing, where it's, it's something where you should be always talking to your customers. You should always be looking for different problems and things along those lines yeah. rather than it's something you do and check it off the list and, and move on to the next thing. That becomes especially relevant for big corporations because there, as you say, I mean, we have stuff that's already working. And what happens right. is when companies become successful, they stop studying the problem. They think, oh, we have the perfect solution as evidenced by the fact that a lot of people are buying it. And then they start missing that the problem is changing, that the context of the world is changing. And that suddenly somebody else, like two entrepreneurs who don't know what they're doing, they come up with something that solves the problem customers have now. That's an excellent point. And, and probably a good jumping off point from the standpoint of you talk about the, the world is changing. So we're recording this during the coronavirus disruption. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how do you think the world is approaching the coronavirus problem? Is it a testing problem? Is it a, a healthcare problem? You know, what, what are your thoughts around how this framework could actually be used by you know, policymakers? to think through a big pandemic like this? For instance, take my strategy around rethinking the goal. I think a really good example of that is the debate around masks over here, where you saw the health authorities initially, they went out and said, you know what? Normal people, they don't benefit from masks. So don't get masks for yourselves. Leave them just to the healthcare providers. We know that masks actually do help. Even if you're not very good at wearing them, they reduce the risk of transmission. And so... What was going on inside the CDC, the healthcare kind of experts, when they made this recommendation? I don't think there was any bad intent around it. It was just they were focused on the goal called 
let's make sure there's no mask shortage because right. the healthcare providers right. really need them. And so like an overbearing parent, in a way, you go out and communicate to the children out there, I'm positioning this a bit provocatively, oh, this is not going to work. I think there's a very good point made by Sam Tufeke here in New York Times recently, more earlier in John Barry's book around the great influence of that. Your goal when you're an authority in a crisis is not just to manage the crisis, it is also, and perhaps even more importantly, to maintain the public's trust in you. Because if people start thinking that the CDC's recommendations are not to be quite trusted, then they lose the only lever they have. It's hard to second guess what's going on at the moment, I feel. Or rather, it's easy to second guess, <laughs> but maybe too easy. But I do think it's a good question what would have happened had people gone out and said and said, folks, masks help, but we healthcare people need them more than you do. And if you have spare, please donate them to your local hospitals. That would have been a different goal to pursue. That's at least one example where I thought the coronavirus was kind of sadly illustrating some of the points that I'm making around problem solving. Well, it goes back to the idea of how you reframe the problem and reframe what you're actually asking or trying to solve for and making sure that's in line with the reality of what you need to do. I'd say... The coronavirus situation also illustrates the importance of that very early stage of when a problem is being formed or framed, because it's only in school that problems come to us predefined, you know, solve this equation. In reality, problems are always messy in the start. They kind of like there's conflicting signals. Is this a problem? Is how big a problem is it? Is it even real? Is this something we need to do something about? Or can we just like play it, wait and see? And you can see, I think, when you compare different nations, you can see the difference it makes whether a leader early on goes in and says, folks, this is a problem, this is a real problem, and we need to figure out what to do about it, versus the countries that took longer to react to it. Thomas, I love talking about this. If people want to find out more about yourself or about the book, what's the best way to do that? The book is called Watch Your Problem. It's available wherever you buy books. And if you want more information, you can check out the website called howtoreframe.com. There's both a bit more about the book there and also some free resources for download and so on. Well, Thomas, thank you again for being on Inside Outside Innovation. And I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with you. Likewise. Thanks, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.